This is Dan Wilson Uncancelled. Let's go. Sharon Davies is tonight's outsider. And while she forged a stellar career battling rivals in the pool, Olympic medalist Sharon is now embarking on a gruelling fight of a different kind that I suspect she never planned for. Because of her dogged work defending women's rights against trans ideology, the swimming sensation says she's now facing financial strain for speaking out. The former swimming champ revealed in an interview for You magazine at the weekend, there's been so much hate and bullying, it's been very hard. Charities I've worked with for 30 years have dropped me. Agents I've worked with for 30 or 40 years don't use use me anymore because the trans activists can be so vicious and malicious they go after your work after your brand they attack everything but proving she's made of the tough stuff sharon isn't willing to sacrifice her principles in the name of security she most recently took aim at the increasingly questionable lgbt charity stonewall for this tweet suggesting two-year-olds yes that's right two-year-olds should be helped to recognize their trans identity at nursery now, Stonewall later clarified their tweet after receiving a barrage of criticism saying it was somehow unclear. Now, my goodness, Sharon, I, I want to talk about your personal situation in that interview in just a moment. But first, this Stonewall tweet, I mean, this is what we're dealing with, right? It's insanity. Hi, night, Dan. Um, yeah, I mean, I have a granddaughter who's two and, and all she's interested in at the moment is, is how excited I get when she manages to find the potty. You know, that is really as far as it goes right now. And obviously there are stacks of toys left over from my 15-year-old son and obviously lots of little toys that we've bought for her. And she just plays with whatever's available. So it's ridiculous to say that a two-year-old has any idea of trans ideology, you know, and to say that nurseries need to be aware of this. I just think it's outrageous. Let's just let kids be kids, you know, and stop these ridiculous stereotypes. I spent my whole youth with short hair, smelling of chlorine, playing with the boys, falling off my bike, falling off tree swings, you know, and I don't think I wore a skirt until I was about 17. So that did not make me a boy. It really didn't. No, I, I couldn't agree more. And the fact that nurseries are being asked to get involved. No, leave this to the parents. But look, Sharon, your interview at the weekend was so worrying because it really does feel like this trans lobby. And by the way, it's not most trans people. And I read the whole interview and you actually made it very clear that you are friends with trans people. You uh, have parents of, sorry, some of your, your friends who are parents have children who are trans. But this is about a very small section of the trans community, right? The extremists. And they want to cancel people like you. And unfortunately, we saw with Macy Gray a few weeks ago, it's starting to work, Sharon. Yeah, well, you say it's starting to work. I think it's been working for a while. I actually think it's working less now. You know, I think the sort of things we've just been talking about and the sunlight that we're shining on, sport in particular, obviously that's my area, that's what I've been talking about, but all these other things as well. You know, it's beginning to bring it to the general public. They're beginning to understand that they don't want drag time stories taught to their primary school children, you know, with people that are dressed up as if they're hookers. And it, it, this is just not appropriate. There's nothing wrong with it, but it's adult entertainment. It's not for children. And I think most people are just seeing it now. It's the sunlight, bringing the sunlight to it. So, yeah, I mean, it has been exaggerated. And I have to be really careful here and say there are a lot of people in this country that are in real dire straits at the moment. You know, the reason that I spent a lot of work money was that my mum left me about £80,000 when she died. She died four years ago. After probate, I got it three years ago. And I've used all that money up 
to enable me to be able to fight this just does not mean that I'm on the breadline. You know, I'm very yeah. lucky. I live in a lovely house, which is mostly paid for. And, you know, there is no chance in hell that I'm anywhere near bankruptcy. So there are people out there that are really struggling and that's not me. But what I was saying was that because they went after agents, because they went after charities, because they tried their damnness to, to, to stop my work from coming in, it did mean that I had to use my savings or my gift yeah. from my mum to basically, you know, pay my bills. Which is incredibly concerning because, look, Sharon, you're brave and you're passionate. But what I worry about are the folk who have the same feelings as you internally. And I'm sure you, like me, we know lots of high profile people who will talk to us privately and say, look, you're fighting the good fight, keep doing it. But I couldn't speak out. Uh, that's what they say to me. I couldn't speak out because I would lose my presenting gig. I, I would lose my contract with this brand. Yeah, and that's the sad thing, because if everybody spoke out that feels that way, this problem would get sorted out straight away. For example, this Friday, you know, the RFU are going to their members to see if they can um, revisit their trans policy. Now, we know if that you actually polled their, their, their athletes, their female rugby players who are in between 20 and 30 percent greater risk of getting injured bearing in mind the papers are full of all the concussion stories at the moment that they would be have a resounding please nose put safety first but they don't do that they allow the trans lobby to emotionally blackmail them rather than putting safety and fairness first so there is a way that we can have fairness and then work on how we come up with solutions for inclusion because there's nobody in sport that doesn't want everybody included but you've got to get it in the right order you know and safety first fairness and then inclusion and if we work together and we debate and we respectfully talk to each other we can find solutions exactly but very often and i'm sure you agree it's the extreme trans lobby that are not prepared to have respectful discussion no, they're not. You know, and the abuse that you get online is just quite extraordinary. And if I was to use the sort of language that's used to me, I would have police turning up at my door. And that's what I have a big issue with. That there's only one side of this argument that's allowed to get away with the language and the abuse. The other side is not allowed, nor would I want to anyway. You know, in Michelle Obama's, you know, they go low, we go high. So I'm going to carry on doing that because I believe keep putting my argument out there, keep using science, keep being respectful. And eventually, you know, we will get there and we are getting there. Um, you know, World Athletics are looking very strongly now like they will follow FINA. British triathlon in this country has, you know, and I'm, I'm very much hoping that the government, when it gets back to, to running itself properly after we've had all this <laughs> yeah. election stuff going on, that then we can revisit how we put pressure on the governing bodies in this country to actually protect female sports people. And it's just not, it's not just about fairness, it's also about sex discrimination. You know, yeah. The whole reason that we have a female classification is to exclude males Don't so you. that females get equal opportunities in sport. And sport is a career where you can earn a living, a very good living. So if we're not enabling them to have those same equal opportunities as males, then that is sex discrimination. So the next course for me would be to go down that, that route of, of the legal course um, you know, of sex discrimination. Well, look, you know we're going to keep following this, Sharon, on this show. Keep fighting the good fight. Sharon Davies tonight's Outsider. Thank you. Welcome back. Now in another worrying example of cancel culture, comedian Dave Chappelle had his show canned by an American theatre after it caved into pressure from rabble-rousing lefties. Chappelle has been under attack from the woke mob since last year after he made this joke in his Emmy-nominated Netflix special, The Closer. And they've canceled people that are more powerful than me. 
They canceled J.K. Rowling. My God, J.K. Rowling wrote all the Harry Potter books by herself. She sold so many books, the Bible worries about her. And they canceled her because she said in an interview, and this is not exactly what she said, but effectually, she said, gender was a fact. And then the trans community got mad. They started calling her a turf. I didn't even know what that was. But I know that trans people make up words to win arguments. The perpetually offended liberals branded Chappelle transphobic for that joke, despite the comedian taking aim at a wide range of people during his set. And last week, a protest that garnered just 125 signatures, 125, was enough to bully the First Avenue Theatre in Minneapolis into cancelling the comics gig. In a groveling, I actually think pathetic statement, they said to staff, artists in our community, we hear you and we are sorry. We know we must hold ourselves to the highest possible standards and we know we've let you down. But all is not lost, because there's a fight back taking place in the entertainment industry led by the former Mumford & Sons musician Winston Marshall. In March 2021, Winston felt the full force of cancel culture after he was hounded online for praising a book investigating Antifa, written by Andy No. But a sensational and rather inspiring move, he chose to quit one of the biggest bands in the world so that he could continue to speak about politics freely without harming his fellow bandmates. And I'm delighted to say Winston joins me for one of those unfiltered conversations. Now, Winston Marshall, great to have you here. I just wonder, is there a pushback happening in the entertainment industry? Because obviously we do have folk like you, uh, Dave Chappelle, Ricky Gervais. You know, there are some high profile examples of people who are fighting back. But the fact that this uh, Minneapolis theater cancelled the gig of one of the biggest comedians in the world because of 125 people on a petition, that really worries me. Yeah, I was going to challenge that part of your introduction. Oh, good. Go on. And not sure it feels like that to me that there's much of a, uh, a pushback. But actually, there is... there. Well, for example, Dave Chappelle doesn't seem to care, and he marches no. on. He was uh, uh, cancelled from First Avenue, the famous venue where Prince filmed uh, Purple Rain. I've played there myself. In fact, he even has a... Uh, a plaque on the wall that they they put up for him, Dave Chappelle, um, at First uh, Avenue, and 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 now they've they've kind of thrown him under under the bus like this. Uh, but I actually think there is a bit of uh, a pushback. Uh, uh, Bill Burr's got a, a Netflix special at the moment, and it pretty much ridicules cancel culture throughout. We have top comedians like John Cleese ridiculing yes. uh, cancel culture. Bill Maher, he's been great. Exactly, and and so. In one sense, you feel like there is a pushback, um, but look at the ground and look what's actually happening. It's a little bit more worrying. Mm. I, uh, on my interview show, I interviewed uh, a really inspiring uh, woman uh, named uh, Rosie Kay this week, who... Um, this is Marshall Matters, your Marshall Matters. podcast, which you can get via the Spectator platforms, right? That's exactly right. And I'm interviewing people in the creative industries looking at freedom of expression. And she uh, is British, and she, last year she, uh, she was cancelled from, uh, or she was forced to resign from her uh, dance company, which she was called the Rosie Kay uh, Dance Company, uh, which she'd been running for 17 years because she wanted to put on a, a, a production or a dance production of Virginia Woolf's Orlando, where the protagonist, central protagonist, about halfway through. The, the um, story turns from a man into a woman, but 
this, when it was written, the idea of uh, trans was just not, it couldn't possibly have been in Virginia Woolf's mind. Now, she was forced to re resign, and, uh, and, but she is showing real pluck and courage mm -hmm. now setting up a new company, uh, facing, wanting to put on a, a, this production now. And, and, and so there are stories of people who go through this hellish experience. And it is, for artists, quite hellish. I think politicians yeah. are probably used to getting flack and used yeah, to getting yeah. uh, criticised. And it's, it's, by nature, they're either loved or hated, uh, or usually just hated. Um, <laughs> but mu musicians, artists yeah. aren't used to, to no. that experience. So for them, it's, um, it's, it's very traumatising. Uh, and it's not part of the day job. It's not, it's not part of the day job at all. You, uh, well, you, it is part of the day job to challenge people. It is mm. part of the day job to make, try and make them think. Mm. And so with Rosie uh, and, and her production, uh, she, she was intentional about choosing things which are going to make us think about these problems that we as a society are thinking about in different ways. Mm. And I guess the examples that we've spoken about, you don't really have musicians, you know, your peers speaking out. So we see it in comedy, and part of that is because, of course, in comedy, you have to get up, you have to perform a set, mm -hmm. and so sometimes that material is going to be controversial. I guess if you're a musician, you don't necessarily have to express your views increasingly, and I know this is someone who used to interview a lot of musicians, increasingly musicians are choosing not to give interviews. Uh, you know, I've spoken to people like Ed Sheeran about this, that they think soon musicians will just be too scared to give any interviews because they know that one line can be extrapolated and used on the internet to try and cancel them. So is your message to, I guess, your peers to speak up more or can you understand why they're so terrified sometimes? I don't think people really care, particularly when it comes to an election, about what actors and musicians think that they should yeah. vote for. Yeah, I agree with that. Having said that, uh, short of telling people how to vote, discussing the issues, I think, is fine. They're yeah. part of society just as much as anyone else. Yeah, they don't want to be preached to, but I think when it comes to culture, culture is absolutely set by celebrity. And if we're only hearing one set of arguments from celebrity, which tend to be, you know, the very woke, the, the, the very liberal arguments, then that does help to set a culture. Well, actually, a lot of these musicians, they will happily on stage talk politics at length sometimes. And, but those are progressive politics that usually yeah. aren't gonna get them into trouble. So they might say F Trump yeah. or um, <laughs> rally against Israel. Or uh, Roe v Wade, for example. Well, exactly, and, and those aren't issues that- That's acceptable because it's the, the, what the MSM and the liberal elite also, or even creative industries on whole are progressives. Even those getting cancelled now are progressives. Dave Chappelle's a progressive. Mm. I'm a liberal. Uh, um, uh, Rosie Kay, again, she comes from, from the left. It's, it's a, this world, it's, it's not got conservatives, particularly in it. I mean, there are some conservatives, but generally not many. But it's the type of issues, isn't it? It's social issues where if you go against the grain, mm you risk, and you prove it, this is the problem, you prove it, you risk cancellation. Obviously, you've turned that quote-unquote cancellation. I guess you could argue you cancelled yourself from, from Mumford & Sons. You chose to leave. But do we need more artists to be brave, to have the discussion, and then all of a sudden it doesn't become such a big deal? I think the courage 
shown by people like Dave Chappelle who plow on, okay, you're not going to have me on at this venue, I'll go down the road. That's the courage. Yeah. That, and that's the example, and those are the role models we, yes. we need. Yeah, and also, by the way, I would praise Netflix too, uh, because they went through a period where they lost a lot of subscribers and a lot of people said it was because they were pushing a particular woke narrative. Mm. But it would have been very easy for Netflix to cancel Dave Chappelle too. There was that massive uprising from their employers and they held firm. So I think we also need to see more corporations, for example, the publishing company behind J.K. Rowling. Now, you could argue they have huge financial motivation to support J.K. Rowling, but they did. And so, I look, maybe I am too optimistic, maybe I am, but I hope that folk like you, like J.K. Rowling, like Dave Chappelle, like Ricky Gervais, I hope it does indicate there is some sort of shift in culture happening away from cancel culture. I may be naive, though. I accept that. I think you're right that that where um, before there was a big pushback of people, let's say, protesting the ideas or the wrong ideas, wrong thing, now major companies realise that if they cancel someone, they're going to have major pushback because actually... The, the silent majority or a lot of people are fed up with this this uh, yeah. attitude and this philosophy that's infiltrated so many institutions yeah. and they will stand up. And if Netflix takes someone down, people will be like, you know yeah. what? Exactly, because we Netflix. just won't buy our Ben and Jerry's, we just won't subscribe to Disney+. Plus. Yeah, no, absolutely. Exactly. Winston Marshall, fascinating conversation. Thank you so much. And I am a huge fan of your spectator podcast, Marshall Matters, which you should go and download now. time now for Uncancelled, and this is where Britain's top commentators speak out on controversial issues without the fear of the cancel culture sweeping the rest of the media. Now you only need to watch an episode of EastEnders these days to know that often someone can be just a little too white, too straight or too old to stay among the BBC ranks. Sue Barker was infamously axed as host of A Question of Sport last year amid claims she was getting on while the corporation has faced fresh ageism claims for ordering legendary Radio 2 presenter Steve Wright to leave at the end of September. Now, though, another radio veteran, BBC Six music star Liz Kershaw, has taken aim at the beef for cutting short her own 35-year glittering career. Liz, who left Six Music in March this year after... Uh, being on every BBC radio station, you know, Radio 1, Radio 2, Radio 4, has sensationally accused station chiefs of sacking her because she's over 60. The 63-year-old's last major project for Six Music was a 16-part Legends in Their Own Lunchtime series where she chatted to icons like Debbie Harry and Boy George and she was landing good ratings for the station too, record ratings actually. So Liz's case echoes that of BBC presenter Miriam O'Reilly, then 53, who won a case for age discrimination against the corporation in 2011 after she was dropped from its flagship rural affairs show, Country file. I'm delighted that Liz, who features regularly here on GB News at breakfast time with the brilliant Eamon and Isabel, joins me at the other end of the day. So, Liz Kershaw, I could not understand when the BBC made this decision. You have been a veteran across all of their stations, but you became synonymous with Six Music. Your ratings were incredibly strong. So, for you, this feels like a straight-up case of ageism. Well, nobody actually said to me. Hiya, Dan, by the way. It's really nice Hello. to meet you. Great to wrong speak. I'll, I'll be back on Thursday morning at 6 o'clock. <laughs> Excellent. But, I'll be watching. Uh, I don't often sit at home with my makeup on, dressed at this time. Anyway, nobody's ever said to me, oh, Liz, you're going because you're old. But I did get the vibes before they did 
cancel me, that I was kind of seen as a bit of a dinosaur by the new management. And that manifests itself in kind of, you know, sneering, snidey remarks, um, sort of hints that, the you know, the kind of guess you're getting on, even though I had a big feature on my live show and I did the series Legends. They have the Legends because they've been around a bit, you know, they haven't made one hit album. Uh, but it's like, oh, you know, she, I, I got the vibe, like she likes old guys with guitars. Which you do. Like, I love all kinds of music. I always have, but there was that vibe. And then we got a new boss, and um, she'd been promoted up. She was already there. And I just knew my face didn't fit. And then she just called me in after the biggest ratings I'd ever had. And I was mentioning dispatches around the buildings, management, you know, record mm. figures for Kershaw. Just, she called me and she said she wanted to catch up. And a coffee, I thought she was going to congratulate me. Yeah. And she said she didn't want my show anymore. She wouldn't give a reason. She just wanted to make changes. So I just looked around and thought, there aren't now any women my age. Yeah. I was the oldest, you know, I was the oldest woman on Six Music. I've been there since day one. I'm not saying it's a job for life. You do have to refresh things and you do have to encourage younger talent, else I'd never got have gotten Radio One in the late 80s, but I just look around now and I see that on radio, on Six Music, Radio 1, One Extra, Radio 2, which come under the umbrella of the BBC's pop stations, uh, there's um, two, there are two women over 60. And um, one is Elaine Page, who does a specialist show on Sunday on Radio 2, Musical Theatre. And the other one is Anne Nightingale, who was the first ever female DJ on UK pop radio. And she records her show and it goes out at two o'clock in the morning. It's an hour long and um, they, they keep Annie there. And, and, and I'm glad. But the, other than that, on four mm. networks, each broadcasting for 168 hours a week, 24-7, there are two women producing maximum of four hours radio over the age of 60. Look round further and you'll see it's not the case for the guys. No. Yes, Steve, no, Steve Wright's gone for lots of reasons, but, and he's gone with great dignity, but um, if you look round, there are there are guys in their late 70s. Um, I'm, I don't, I'm loath to name names because that's not personal to them. No, I but we know who you mean. We know but who you mean. But... Like my like Johnny Walker, Paul Gambaccini, Tony Blackburn. It's quite okay for the guys to go on in perpetuity. And and also there's a precedent because I was um told I was no longer required when just after my 62nd birthday. Same thing happened to Janice Long in 2017. Janice happened to be 62 when after doing night shifts on Radio 2 since 1999. Um, she was told she was no longer required and she was 62. So I just look around and think, mm. what's going on? And then I look at the rest of the BBC news. There isn't a female newsreader over 60. No. Um, they've got Kirsty Walk on Newsnight, but she's about to be replaced by Victoria Derbyshire. Um, yeah. it's, it's just to me, it's just so evident. Um, but it's, it's not just that you've been talking earlier um, about music. And musicians, it, it's it's not just about me 
fact, it's not about me at all because I'm quite happy. I'm quite happy to be out of that place because now I can express my views. Yes. Without getting sinister phone calls. It's all out the day from the management. You don't want to be there, Liz. But look, I, I, I really understand the point that you're making, though, and I think it is disgraceful of the BBC, and I'll tell you why. I've been on this story now for close to a decade, and there has been time after time where the BBC has been told by their various different management structures, you know, it's the trust or the board or Ofcom, whoever it is, you have to retain older female talent. They were told in the newsroom. They were told after the Miriam O'Reilly case. They were told after what happened on the radio. And they don't listen because they are obsessed. And the Sue Barker thing is a disgrace. I mean, they've, they've let their most popular sports presenter walk out the door. Uh, but, but to me, it is because they have an obsession with youth. Well, they do, and they seem to think that uh, young people... They seem to think that people listen to music, they choose music by the age of the artist, which is complete baloney. Um, my sons listen to stuff from the 60s yeah. right through to the present day. When I was a kid, I listened to everything on Radio 1, I love the charts. But I also loved big band music, Duke Ellington. I love the crooners like Frank Sinatra. I really love the Andrews sisters. I love music from the 1920s, Cole Porter and stuff like that. And also growing up, I never said to myself, I can't listen to John Peel because he's in his late 50s. You know, I, I, it just didn't occur to me. But what does that give young people some more credit? Well, the thing is that you, to, the other thing is you're throwing out the, you're throwing everything away because all the knowledge that somebody like myself has built up about music, somebody said to me the day, "How do you know that?" I said, "Because I'm kind of encyclopedic about music. I just love it as well as enjoying the you know the emotions it brings." But um, you know, all that knowledge is is just is just not valued. All the interviews I've done, people will never be interviewed again, but have contributed so much to music and are just lost in the bowels of the BBC in the archive. And it seems like a shame to me, and it doesn't seem like a service to the licence, but yes, you've got to have young, fresh talent, but don't discriminate. What happened, Dan, the other thing, I don't know if you picked up on this, was that the BBC appointed June Sarpong mm. on £180,000 a year for a few hours a week, and she was the diversity czar, and she set targets for diversity. And one of the targets was that, and I, you know, I'm really sick in my neck out saying this, but it was in the public domain. One of the targets was that 25% of on-air uh, presenters and guests had to be non-white. And I was actually, uh, to, towards the end of my stint, uh, 20 years since on Stitch Music, being told that I couldn't have a certain guest because I hadn't filled the quota of black people. And I think that's wrong. Yeah, um, it, it's totally wrong. It's totally it's wrong. wrong. And this is and, how the BBC okay, operates. Why, no. why, why are we having this guest? What, has he got a new album? What's he doing? What's the pay? Yeah. No, it wasn't about that at all. And, and I just think, and also in order to introduce quarters you've got to push aside people that are there and you push at the easiest door well look let's let's go short i uh, do you know what i say though thank goodness you're out now you've got a new lease of life you're with us at gb news you can say what you think and 
I think it is the BBC's loss. And of course, Liz Kershaw will be back uh, on breakfast here at GB News Thursday morning, Liz. Thursday morning, that's right. Thursday morning. And back soon, with the, back soon with the music podcast as well. Everybody does a podcast now, don't they? Yeah, but we want yours. We want yours. So Liz Kershaw, and do come back with me too. We'll have you back soon, Liz Kershaw. I'd like Mumford and Sons. I just want to say this: they won't get airplay now. They just won't. But bands, guys in lads yeah. in bands practicing in garages in Leicester, they don't get on the playlists anymore. Yeah. And that is subjecting yeah. sub, no. sub, our absolutely. Culture. Liz Kershaw, I could speak to you all day. Thank you so much. Dan Button here again. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of my podcast, Uncancelled. Did you like what you hear? Well, remember to subscribe, rate and review and join me for more newsmaking interviews, fiery debate and free speech on Dan Button tonight every Monday to Thursday from 9pm till 11pm on GB News. Listener.